Glad you're here. I'm Jared, and I get to launch a series today called Unstoppable. We're going to take a look at the life of King David from the Bible. But first of all, I just want to share some of my joy with you. That'd be okay? I've had a very proud moment recently, and I thought you'd like to participate with me in that. Yesterday, uh, I was one of the, uh, the walkers in the uh, Arms Stomp Out Abuse 5 and 10K Run Walk. Yeah. And I want you to know that I waited until the bitter end, and I am the proud award receiver of a third-place ribbon for the geriatric division. And that division was so small in terms of participants that they didn't even separate it between men and women. We were all looped together, and uh, uh, a wonderful woman, I'm sure. I've never met her before. She doesn't attend here, I don't think. Uh, won first place, and uh, Joe, who's right back here, got second place. If I would have known, buddy, while we were out there, John, on the road, if I would have known that you were going to get second place and I was going to get third place, I flat out would have beat you. <laughs> I, Joe, I'd, I would have made that happen. So, uh, you're pretty excited for me? Yeah. Yeah. You're not even being kind about it. It's just pretty amazing. More about third place later. Hey, in this series, we're talking about David and we're going to be learning from the guy whose biography is the longest one in recorded ancient literature of any kind. God apparently thinks you and I need to know some stuff about David's life. And over the next few weeks, the teaching team chronologically goes through some of the high points and low lives of his life. We're going to find every week three characters show up. The first one is David's story. You're going to see his great successes, his great challenges, and his huge failures. You're going to see Jesus' story. David foreshadows in a broken and twisted and very incomplete and imperfect way the true king who is coming in Christ. And third, you're going to find it yourself. You pop up periodically through this story as well, as God shows us how to enter into more of his purpose and his character and his empowerment to live the life that he's intended for you. So we jump in today in David's story when he's about 15 years of age. We're going to hear it through the eyes and experience of a spiritual seer. His name is Samuel. And this is Samuel's story. You'll find it in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We'll read the first 14 verses. Two things. First of all, if you don't have one of the handouts, I'd like for you to have one to look at and take home with you today. Ushers are preparing right now to come to the front. Just lift your hand, and they'll give you one of those. Secondly, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles or your devices to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, that's where I'll be reading. The words will not be on the screen today. Here's the story. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how, will, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You're to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when he 
met them, and they asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammai pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. The Lord said, arise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Hmm. So we started with the seer, Samuel. But his story started back with his mother, Hannah. Many of you recall when Hannah brought her toddler to the Lord to dedicate him. There in the tabernacle, Hannah burst into an inspired prophetic song. And the words of this poem foretold a true king who would come, a king who would not accumulate power for himself, but would distribute power to others, a king who would come not primarily to be served, but primarily with a service orientation, a king who would empower rather than accrue power. Samuel had learned that value of servant leadership from his mother, and now God finds him weeping uncontrollably, discouraged, distraught, depressed, because the first king of Israel, Saul, had not turned out well. And Samuel had been the one used by God to identify and anoint that first king. Samuel is feeling personal despair and disappointment in this story. And God interrupts his grief and he says, don't despair. I want you to look with me. I want you to see what I see. I see another king, a new king, a true king. And much of the story that we're going to unpack over the next several weeks or what are the characteristics of true leadership and kingliness look like? In our story today, we're going to find these three characters. We're going to find David in his discovery and potential to kingliness. We're going to find the story of Jesus foreshadowed, and we're going to end taking a picture of him. And you're going to find your own story. Wherever God might be intersecting with your life today, 
where life has been disappointing, where you feel somehow disqualified, where your own decisions have brought you to a place of failure and discouragement, you'll find yourself in David too. First of all, we're introduced to a seeing God. And God says to the seer, Samuel, I want you to come see something with me. You're going to see a new king. But we discover quickly that Samuel was misdirected, and he was looking at something else. In fact, we find a God who sees, he sees what can become kingly, and he sees what is misdirection. We're introduced to a seeing God and the importance of character. And when God sees a king, Samuel sees something else. Because he looked, but his focus was blurred. And God told him not to look at what people look at, but to look at what God looks at. And when God looks, he sees something different than humans. He sees kingly potential. Notice again, and I repeat verse 7, which is the core of our story today. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, but people look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at, would you say it with me? The, the heart. Yeah. Heart, character. In fact, one paraphrase says, beauty is only skin deep, but ugly goes all the way to the bone. <laughs> well, not exactly, but <laughs> some of that's in that passage. Here's the deal. Digital marketing experts tell us that every day, Americans are bombarded with 4,000 to 10,000 advertisements. Only 100 of those will make it into your conscious awareness. And one of the reasons that beautiful people are often used to advertise and sell anything is because of the human tendency to be drawn to give attention to beautiful, uh, physical beauty. That didn't just show up in our culture and our generation. Humans are attracted to qualities in other people that are physical. So this story is in part a lesson in misdirection. The stage, uh, art of stage magic, and are some of you uh, uh, magicians? Yeah, do the stage thing? Yeah. Well, some of you are. You know some magic tricks but you wouldn't admit it because we think we're so religious that we would think that that was wrong. And the other one is, you know me, and you know that if you raised your hand, I'd ask you to come up and perform a trick or two, and <laughs> none of you are going to risk that at all. But yeah. But you know, the art of stage magic is to misdirect, and the performer gets our attention here, and we are all watching this thing while the real action is happening over here. And God says in, his, in essence to Samuel, you have been taken in. You've been faked out. You are having your pocket picked. You are looking at the inconsequential while the real story is happening right in front of you and you can't see it. I want to give you vision so that your focus is attracted in seeing what I see. I don't want you to be blind. I don't want you to be fooled. I don't want you to be obsessed with the human tendency to look at non-consequential things. Now, it was no surprise that Samuel was impressed by the first son, tall, dark, and handsome. 
In fact, one of the things that we've discovered about kings and their attributes over the thousands of years, the millennia, is that being physically strong and inwardly talented and giftedness can go a long way toward being a king. Some of you are familiar with William Wallace, the Scottish uh, resistor who uh, in uh, my generation was made uh, famous in Braveheart, the movie. William Wallace, his sword still exists, it's in a museum in Scotland, is five feet, six inches long. The inference drawn for someone to be able to wield that sword successfully as he did, infatigable and unstoppable in battle, was that William Wallace was at least six foot, four inches tall in a time where men averaged about five, six. That's the kind of stature that just came with being kingly if you're going to lead people into battle. We don't fault Samuel from it, but what God was doing was looking at the potential for kingliness with very different criteria. Appearance, gifts, competence, skills have traditionally all been essential to kings over thousands of years, except in this situation, when God speaks to Samuel, he says, you're having your pocket picked. You are evaluating potential, worthiness, competence, and skills in a way that are naturally appropriate, but God is up to something that is supernatural. He's saying to us, we tend to be humans obsessed by the wrong things. Your criteria of money and success and physical appearance are a form of blindness. A few weeks ago, it was time for us to get our annual eye examination. So we went to Dr. Chad Lawson, and we went through two different uh, rooms and all kinds of sophisticated equipment. And then I sat down with my friend, Dr. Chad, and he looked at me in the eyes, and he said, your eyes are really messed up. (laughs) No, he didn't. He's far too professional. So he has euphemisms to describe that. In fact, he started out on the positive. Instead of saying, because you're old, gravity's having its way with your entire body, including your eyeballs, and they've drooped a little further, what he said to me was, you only need the most minor of corrections this year. Is that framing or what? Yes. And your prescription is not going to be much different than it was yet last year. Woohoo! I'm only getting incrementally older and blinder, is what he was saying. Awesome. Yes. So what he did is he prescribed a a corrective lenses so that I could see with less blurriness and greater clarity. God says to Samuel, I want to give you some corrective lenses here, and I want to show you the qualities of true kingliness because you're going to learn some things about how to see life more clearly in how God's prescribed it to live. These are the three things we're going to look at briefly today. Number one, I'll note them each later if you don't catch them all now. But first, character is infinitely more important than physical appearance. And some of you would say, thank God, amen. (laughs) Secondly, character is infinitely more important than skills or talent. Gifts or talent. And third, character is costly and it's worth it. First, character is infinitely more important than physical appearance. We are bombarded with images of physical beauty. In fact, 
Historians tell us that we are culturally far more obsessed with physical beauty than any culture that has preceded us. Dr. Martin Luther King, in his great speech, had a vision of and a dream of when we will be judged not on the color of our skin, but on the quality of our, say it with me, character. Yeah. We do judge other people on the basis of their skin. It may be color, it may be age, it may be number of wrinkles, it may be its smoothness, it may be its elasticity. It may be how much fat it holds in. But we certainly judge people based upon our skin. It's a cultural value. And media emphasize physical beauty and suggest that the extraordinarily beautiful people are actually the norm. And I don't want to be unkind, but most of us are the norm. <laughs> yeah, don't hold your, your, you know, don't wait for a call today to model. That's, that's most of us. But here's the deal. We tend to want to judge, based upon that, ourselves and others. The ramp, rampant growth of pornography is another expression of habituating the spiritual inconsequential by trumping up with physical viewing and gratification. Date and mate searches in our culture tend to, like Samuel, put physical attract attractiveness at or near the top of preferred criterion. We understand it. But as we read God's story, he flips culture upside down. And he says that character is infinitely more important than physical appearance. The second story is, the learning is, that character is infinitely more important than talent or gifts. Jesse assumed, Jesse assumed that the one with the greatest wealth potential and the one with the greatest physical potential obviously would be king. The first son had the greatest wealth potential. The first sons tended to get almost the whole deal of the inheritance. He was tall, dark, and handsome when he came in. It looked like he was the perfect package. Gifts, abilities, potential. But let me ask a thoughtful question. What's the source today of most human tragedy around the world? Is it a lack of skill? A lack of ability? A lack of talent? No. We have more information available to us in this generation than has been available to all the previous generations cumulatively. It's not a lack of skill and knowledge. Human tragedy is a lack of human character and love. Well, humans are able to do an awful lot without love. Paul writes in this beautiful, almost poem that we love in 1 Corinthians 13. He starts it by saying, you know, it is possible actually to give eloquent, informative speeches. You can even prophesy foretelling future through 10 trends. You can actually move mountains through your faith. You can give yourself sacrificially in service. You can give generously to others. But if the motivation is not love, you are spiritually nothing. 
So it's possible for us to engage with tremendous ability with a motivation of actually gaining power or superiority over others. Human tragedy is primarily a lack of human character and God-given love. So we learn that the questions that we should probably ask are not how gifted am I or talented am I or successful am I in career or in earnings or the question should be, how is my character growing? Am I less absorbed? Is there more of Christ's love and patience in my life? Am I becoming a more joyful person? And you can't be like me today and say yes, but I, it's mostly the weather. Though I will tell you that Anne is living with a nicer husband in the last few days. Yeah. The question that culture often asks is, is my net worth growing financially? A better question might be, is my net character worth growing? God looks at the heart. So we've seen two things. We've seen that character is infinitely more important than physical appearance. We've seen that character is infinitely more important than uh, gifts and talent. And third, I mentioned that we're going to see the character is costly and it's worth it. I'm going to mess with you for just a minute. Think about, for those of you that have spent time with the Bible, think about the stories associated with this anointing, this coming upon and filling within of God's Spirit in people. In the Old Testament, it happened at times like it did for David. In the New Testament, it happens for all of us as Christ followers in a different form. But the essence is the same. The rushing of the Spirit through one's uh, life from that point forward. What's the pattern of anointing across the Bible? Well, it is often this. Someone is anointed with God's Spirit, and then they start running because they're hunted and persecuted and sometimes caught and imprisoned. How many of you are signing up for that one today? Yeah. The stories are myriad. I could just mention three or four names that would come to mind. David is one. And there's Elijah. And there's Jesus. And there's Paul. And some of us would say, I'd like the anointing, the character development of the power, but I'd prefer to do it outside of that context. Any of you sign up for that one? Absolutely me. I prefer not to be in pain. So why is there this relationship often between God's Spirit coming upon one and them getting into trouble? Well, I think one of the reasons is that God cares far more about developing His character in us than anything else, and that His power comes through us best when we are truly in service to others. That's His love. And I think God's experienced from lots of generations of practice with humans that often we grow best in character when we're experiencing some difficulty. Now, character grows when we're doing the right thing, whether you want to or not, whether it makes you happy or not. Now, I understand that suffering per se does not necessarily generate good character. Some of us, instead of getting better, decide to get bitter. So we want to look at how to respond to that well. I've just been reading uh, recently a book by Navy SEAL uh, Robert O'Neill, and uh, it's called The Operator, and it's his story of being the, the lead SEAL 
in the team that went in and uh, to the compound of Osama bin Laden. And it's kind of some uh, interesting life lessons. Number one, uh, if any of you were in special forces, and some of you may have been, uh, my hat's off to you. Uh, I could not have done what you did getting there. Uh, Very impressive story and one that was painful from time to time. But he has some really interesting life lessons that come out of that. Listen to this quote from Robert O'Neill. No matter what, never quit. When you're going to war for the first time and the enemy is all your doubts and all your fears and everyone back home who told you you couldn't do this, just keep your head down, keep moving forward, no matter what, never quit. Character often grows doing the right thing whether I want to or not and whether it makes me happy or not. So how can difficulty make me better and not bitter? Those of you that know me reasonably well know that I'm an advocate for learning. And learning in whatever form, formally or informally, you know if you're a younger person and you've had a conversation with me, I probably put my foot in your back and we probably had a conversation about continuing your education. But if you know me well, you also know that part of my story was that formal education was interrupted. As a sophomore in college, I felt that God told me to quit school and to register, enroll in a three-year vocational ministry institute that was non-accredited. And on the other side of that, Ann and I got married, and we got to go plant a church as a bivocational pastor. To fund my way in that non-accredited institute, I got to clean bathrooms in uh, an office building uh, high-rise tower. So here is the brief story of Jared. I dropped a four-year scholarship so I could clean toilets so I could get a non-degree, so I could plant a church and pay my own way. That is my story. By the way, I just love that training jingle. Some of you have learned it with me. It's a beautiful thing when I was learning how to clean toilets. Around the rim, around the bowl, and down the hole. (laughs) See how much better my life is and now yours for this life interruption. Yeah. Now, I did go back over time and continue my formal education, but here's the point of the story of my life. God apparently decided that character development was more important in that sequence than academic achievement. And for that point in time, I had life interrupted because I needed to go to a different kind of school of character development. Now, if you're students, you do not get to use my story as your excuse to drop out of anything. I am quite exceptional. And until you get third place in the geriatric division at the stomp out abuse, you cannot use my excuse. But we understand the point. God is most interested in developing kingliness in you. And he is going to invite you into opportunities in life for him to develop that, making you better for it. Well, we learned three things. Character is infinitely more important than physical appearance. Character is infinitely more important than talents or gifts. Character is infinitely important. And it will be costly, but it's worth it. So as we shift to the end of the story and our wrap, I want you to focus for a couple of minutes about the son who Samuel almost forgot. The forgotten son changes you forever. 
In the Bible, the number seven often symbolizes perfection or completion. So when the seven sons are brought in, Jesse is doing the smart thing. He's, he's saying, you know, we should have stopped with seven boys anyway. We got the eighth one, but the eighth one might have been a mistake, but whether or not, he was utterly disregarded, entirely disqualified. If God's going to do anything with my boys, it's going to be in the perfect number of the first seven. To Jesse's surprise, to Samuel's surprise, it's not the first, the second, the third, or the fifth, sixth, or seventh. Samuel asked, are there any more sons? Well, there is the youngest. What does it mean to be the youngest? It means that you're utterly unqualified. You're not even considered. You didn't even make the long ballot before the cut. And what does it mean that you're out with the sheep? It means that you, in this case, have less status than some of the servants who would have been in the house hosting this event with Samuel. Here's the David formula. Youngest plus extra equals inconsequential. Hmm. Isn't it interesting in this story that that's exactly where God went to find the kingly potential. He didn't go to the one who would naturally get the most power to become powerful. He didn't go to the one who would naturally have the greatest resources and talents. He didn't go to the one who had the franchise on the family business. He went to the one with the least power, with the least potential, who was disenfranchised. And that, my friends, is the common story of the Bible. Hmm. Our story today starts with a seer, a prophet, the most spiritually in-tune person in his generation, gifted by God, who was in deep regret because the story of his contribution to that nation had not turned out well. Disappointed in his participation in identifying the first King Saul that had gone sideways so quickly and had drifted so far. And in his despair, the one who felt least likely to be used by God to do the second time around finding the next king was told by God, stop mourning. I'm seeing myself a king that I want to show to you. How do you think David felt that day out in the field? Talk about the wiring of the adolescent brain and the message of life that he had gotten from the start. You extra kid, you pimple on the family, you ne'er do well, we have servants better than you, you are nothing to us. When the most revered person in our nation comes to our home, you will not come into this house. You have no future. You have no potential. You have no, no talent that is going to be recognized. And so it's the kid who's in the field that God has been seeing all along. 
and he saw a heart. Now, I'm going to tell you that David's heart was not a perfect heart. As the story unfolds, his failures are epic, as were his successes. But it was a heart that Paul later tells us was turned toward God and therefore had the potential for God to do great things in. And it was that kid from the field that came in, and Samuel said, this is the one, and he dumped a bunch of oil on his head, this anointing, this symbol of what happened when kings and prophets were identified by God. Anointing. The Hebrew word used there is moved into Greek as Christos and moved from Greek into English as Christ. You could say, in essence, that day David was anoint-ed. David was Christ-ed. As it says, the Spirit came rushing through his life so that from that day forward, his life would be defined by a rushing of God's Spirit through him to over a lifetime develop Christ-like character and Holy Spirit empowerment to fulfill the mission that God had destined for him to be. And that's where we find ourselves in David's story. As you think back across your life, as I do mine, there is so much to disqualify us from God's greatness. But when you look at David's story, a 15-year-old and an aging prophet, regardless of where they were in life, regardless of where you are in life. And today, those of us in this room span somewhere around 14 to 94. Regardless of your story, God's story is, I want to breathe my rushing spirit through you to create my likeness and to fulfill my purposes. Our invitation is, will you receive that? And as you turn your heart toward God, he will meet you where you are. He will forgive your sin. He will fill you with his spirit. He will inspire you forward. He will give you strength and courage. He will lead you flawlessly through his life, even though it won't be all clear for you. And you will be a story of the forgotten son who also was born in Bethlehem and was rejected and excluded on his birth night, and was driven as a refugee to another country, and was empowered by God's Spirit and led directly into the wilderness, and suffered an unimaginable hunger and temptation, and eventually became misfigured so that your unsightly sin could be healed." The most powerful being in the universe, emptying himself of power so you could be empowered as God's child. The most beautiful being in the universe, becoming ugly so you could become spiritually beauty. Embrace the forgotten son. He came for you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming in a way that was foreshadowed by David, but completely surpassed any of David's hints about you. You came as God yourself to, in our place, pay the price on a cross for our sins, 
to come bursting back to life by the power of God's Spirit to offer forgiveness for us. Thank you, God, that there's no experience that any of us have had that keeps us from you. In fact, as we turn our heart toward you with an I want to follow God, you find us there. Forgive us, fill us, empower us, grow your likeness and character in us. Help us live out the rest of our lives, whatever period that is, of honoring you, growing in you, and being a blessing to you and to others. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.